0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. And um, um, I've been coming here for about 11 years, um, and uh, my teaching experience is pretty thin. Uh, I'll just admit that up front. I teach the... Um, I'm part of a team that teaches the drop-in um, introductory Uh, class here on uh, Thursday evenings and occasional other times and I also um, uh, like Phil here uh, go to teach uh, meditation at a prison in Monterey County uh, a couple times a month which has become my favorite activity Oh, and we always need more volunteers not too many people want to do that um, and we're trying to expand to uh, cover another part of the prison uh, where people have asked for teachers. And it's hard to say no. Uh, so, um, um, but, but, but that has not been served before. So uh, if anyone has some teaching background or is very studied, I would like to do that, let me know afterwards. So today I would like to talk, uh, you know, if I can... I'm not prepared, but um, if I can throw this out, I'd like to talk about the most important teaching in Buddhism, um, which is an audacious subject because it's hard to say what's the most important teaching. Different teachers that I've heard or have read over the years have said, There is a most important teaching. And they don't all agree with each other. So what do we make to make of this? Um, I mean, there are people who will say, impermanence is it. When you can see impermanence, the transitory nature of all experience, that's when you let go and And go all the way, um, There are people who will point to loving kindness or compassion, if you can develop the kind of being that is always compassionate or loving all others no matter what uh, you know that, that is what we're trying to, to get to isn't it and I can't argue with that as the most important teaching it's often what inspires just the thought of that inspires me to keep making effort on this path there are people who will point to effort or to non-attachment and I'm sure there are others that have been thrown out there as the most important teaching that I'm not remembering right now, um, is, there, is there one that we should be um, thinking about most or that we should hold in our minds as guiding our practice and our study? It's hard to say that there is. Because it seems like all these teachings at first are so different from each other. Impermanence, non-attachment, loving kindness. They sound so different and yet one leads into another inexorably. So when you can see impermanence, when you really understand it, when you see it in your moment by moment, then you realize the emptiness, um, the not-self of all sentient life. And when you realize that, you realize there's nothing to be attached to, nothing that we can hold on to as me or mine. And when you see that, you start to let go. And when you let go, you find peace. When you realize the not-self or emptiness uh, of your own experience, (laughs) you start to be a little less selfish. And when you start to be that way, then your heart opens and you can um, accept other people just the way they actually are. And then loving kindness and compassion naturally develop. And so does generosity. And so I've heard Andrea Fella. Talk about the Dharma, the Buddhist teaching, the Buddhist teachings as a complete system. And it seems that way to me. So uh, it seems kind of um, off the mark to hold up any of these teachings as the most important. If we focus on one, that might blind us or distract us from the others. And we need to keep them all in mind. But for me, there have been most important teachings um, during my, you know, the f- maybe 15 years that I've been um, interested in Buddhism, studying and practicing it. I remember clearly at the beginning when I was suffering a lot and nothing seemed to have worked. Um, And I was just about at the point of giving up hope. But there was a yoga studio in my neighborhood, and I thought, well, I haven't tried that yet. (laughs) What have I got to lose? And so I gave it a try, and, um, and uh, a little bit to my surprise, I really loved it. Uh, I didn't understand why at the time, uh, but I became pretty religious about it. Um, and now I realize that the reason I liked it was that when you have to focus so intently on setting up your pose and doing the moves with correct alignment and so forth, uh, that doesn't leave much room in your mind for all those low is me thoughts that are buzzing around in your mind. Also, my body was probably pretty contracted um, from uh long, you know, years or decades of, um, of um, you know, mental suffering. Uh, and yoga stretches you out. And, uh, and uh, so there's that mind-body connection. Um, I didn't understand it at the time, but uh, uh, in retrospect, I I think that's why it was helpful to me. And after a little while, I thought, well, if I like yoga so much, um, maybe I should look into Buddhism. I had this vague idea that there was something similar between the two. They're both focused on the breath. Um, But I didn't know anything about Buddhism, and I wondered, uh, is there something weird about it? Strange beliefs that I'm not going to believe in? Is it a little cultish? Uh, but I picked up some books, and when I saw that, um, that Buddhism was uh, uh, very concerned with morality, with uh, non-harmful behavior, certainly in our actions, but also in our speech, and even in our thoughts, right down to the level of what kind of thoughts are we having. Um, Then I knew this is okay. So the morality teachings in Buddhism, at that point in time, were the most important teachings was, was the most important teaching for me because that's what gave me the impetus to go forward and look more deeply. When I did, I found I loved the uh, teachings on mindfulness. I loved the idea of just being aware of as much as possible. Um, I remembered when I was little and was looking at some lace or some fabric and seeing the intricate threads, and that drew me in, and there was something beautiful about noticing that that, uh, fine level of detail in fabric. But no one around me had ever said anything like, this is worthwhile, notice things, so I quickly dismissed it (laughs) as unimportant. So um, mindfulness um, uh, was a teaching I liked. And, so, and there were others. So the teachings I liked then became the most important teaching because those were what drew me in further uh, to Buddhism. Kept me going. There were two teachings that were the hardest for me. So one was non-attachment, and the other was not-self. Regarding non-attachment, I thought, how can that be possible? I'm a flesh-and-blood human being. Uh, Craving is built into us. And if it's in our DNA, there's no escaping that, is there? It seemed like kind of a pipe dream that we can become non-attached. And then not-self? Well, my whole experience tells me that, um, hey, I'm me. <laughs> and of course, I wasn't the only one. And someone once said, imagine Manhattan on the streets at rush hour. The streets are filled with people coming and going. And every one of those people thinks, I'm the center of the universe. They don't really believe that intellectually, but viscerally, deep down inside, that's pretty much how we operate. So not-self was hard for me to understand or accept. And those two teachings, the hardest ones... Um, became the most important teachings for me at the time. The hardest nuts to crack um, in a way became the most important ones. So it took a long time before I saw how I saw the truth of those teachings. Uh, There's that famous saying by Ajahn Chah about Uh, letting go, non-attachment. If you let go a little bit, you'll find a little bit of peace. If you let go a lot, you'll find a lot of peace. And if you let go completely, you'll find complete peace. Uh, Can we let go completely? These flesh and blood animals that we are? Um, if you've been doing this any length of time, you've seen how you have let go compared to where you were at before you found this practice. And if you've let go a little bit and found some relief from all those woe-is-me thoughts... Buzz around in your head, then you know you know you can go th- that far, which is evidence that you can go a little bit further, and a little bit further, and so forth and so on. So I like to imagine a graph, um, time and letting go, and the curve is like this, and over time, that curve gets. Closer and closer and closer to the uh, x axis. Can we get to where we're touching the x axis? Can we get to complete enlightenment? Um, Maybe that's not a useful question to ponder because we can always get closer and the closer we get and the more refined we become the more we start to see that getting that little bit closer um, is worth the effort it takes those little ruffles in our minds that before we found this practice, we would never have even noticed. And that most people around us do not consciously notice. But people's antennae are pretty fine-tuned. So your facial expressions, your body language, they show those ruffles, and people pick up on them, and... And so um, uh, you can't say they don't matter. And when you smooth out those ruffles in your mind a little bit, the relief is as great as when you had let go of some of the major, um, the really large tumult. In your mind earlier. And so we want to keep going no matter how far we've gone. Or you might say, the farther we go, the more we see the usefulness, the helpfulness of making continued effort to let go. Um, And then, maybe even more difficult. Is not self. Uh, It's hard to define, for one thing. Uh, I tend to think, yes, there is a self. I am me. I'm not the same person as any of you. Of course, we're not completely separate either. We interact and affect each other. So there is a self here, except (laughs) It's always changing. There's always new sensory input. Um, So you can't really put your finger on this self. As soon as you do, that target is moved, and it's a little bit different, Uh, which can yank the foundation from under you. If you can't say, This is me, this I believe, this I am, it can leave you feeling foundationless, like you're sinking in quicksand. Um, But when you learn how to surf on that quicksand, then you can handle anything. And the idea of not self, that we're always changing, it becomes something beautiful. It means we're not fixed, we're capable of change, of learning, becoming happier, becoming better people for others to be around. So to me that's the beauty of not-self. It allows for growth. Um, Which allows for non-attachment, greater happiness, and so, yes, we do find that all these varied teachings that at first sound so different from each other lead one into another, a seamless whole, a complete system. At times in our lives, some will be more important than others. It depends on where we're at. When we see how they're all connected when we master each teaching in turn learn it and then with our practice uh, embody it so that it's not just an intellectual understanding but a visceral um, knowing Um, and we see and then so we we see how these teachings are connected when we see that then they start to disappear. It's all one teaching, really. When the teachings disappear, there's no more not-self, mindfulness, non-attachment, morality, loving-kindness. There's just state of being just awareness. We don't have to think all these teachings through anymore. Any more than a bird has to think about how to fly. We just sort of know what is the best way to be and in most situations we know what is the best thing to do. And we no longer have to catch ourselves when we're about to say that thing that we would regret later. And the teachings start to become hard to articulate. It's not so much this is the teaching, but it's more a lack of things. There's no longer attachment. there's no longer selfing. There's no longer anger. Um, if you read the ancient suttas, uh, some parts are still hard for me to understand. Um, I think it's in part because um, uh, they're pointing at a state of mind that's difficult to say anything about. It's more, you know, you know, not angry, not wanting, and so forth. It all disappears. But I am going to go out on a whim and say maybe there is a most important teaching after all. And for a long time, I thought it was non-attachment because I have found my greatest joy, or happiness, I should say, in letting go. Letting go, letting go, letting go. Um, But now, my thinking has shifted, and maybe not for the last time, Uh, for me now the most important teaching is the teaching on suffering for one thing it's the first noble truth (laughs) so the Buddha put it first Uh, there is suffering it's 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 um, uh, omnipresent. It's all around us. It's moment by moment. Sound, lost the sound? Okay. Thanks for, thanks for saying something. Um, and it's what brought me to Buddhism in the first place. I mean, suffering uh, is what I have to be thankful for not just the experience of suffering, but understanding suffering, seeing the suffering at the most subtle levels. Uh, Someone once said that almost everything we do, everything we do, thought we have, is to relieve some kind of discomfort or suffering. So there's... Maybe it's there almost all the time if we just have the sensitivity to notice it. Maybe our sitting practice, getting our mind still, maybe one of the purposes of that is to get still enough that we can see the ongoing suffering, those ruffles. and to understand their, their source. Um, it's a little hard to let go of something until you know what you have to let go of. So, uh, this has often been said, uh, that, that, uh, that, we, that it's our suffering that propels us forward and, and, uh, and gets us closer to that x-axis, the letting go. Um, and so, uh, right now, that's, that's what I'm going to say is perhaps the most important teaching for me where I am at now. Seeing suffering... Uh, I don't know about embracing it, uh, but it's but knowing it, understanding it, and then seeing what we have to let go of um, in order to uh, reduce the causes of suffering. So um, all those people out there, maybe there aren't, aren't very many of them, the people who seem to have no problems, no financial problems they've got position and status in their in their community, um, loads of friends uh, loved by many um, and for whom life is a banquet and because life is so great. Um, maybe they aren't looking inward so much think of those pity uh, those people and, and, and uh, uh, spare a thought of compassion for them because they don't know what they're missing um, so without preparation this is as, as far as I've been able to think this subject through <laughs> I, I hope it um, was intelligible for you and more so I hope it was helpful um, and how are we doing on time? Is there time for questions? Um, yes, it's 10.30 Yes yep. uh, Okay, questions so as, as Gil likes to say, are there any questions, comments, protests? Okay, I'm going to start in the back <clears throat> Jimmy. Bill. Mick. Oh. Bill, I just want to say thank you very much for stepping into this breach. And as far as I'm concerned, that was just as good a Dharma talk as I've heard for a long time. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Mick, thank you for those words. I have not gone beyond um, uh, desire to hear such such praise. Thank you. <clears throat> now, I see the suffering in that. I, I do.
1: So, thank you very, thank you very much, Bill. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Where are you? I recognize the voice.
1: Uh, yes. Well yes, done. Peter. Thank you. Thank you. Um, the, the Buddha had some commentary about what he thought the most important teaching was. Yeah. And he said that at, at, at the end of his life. And he said, um, and I'm going to paraphrase him. He said, um, I came to teach suffering and the end of suffering the way to end suffering so suffering is definitely and seeing suffering is definitely part of the most important teaching arguably more important is the way to end suffering well
0: yes the way we end suffering involves a panoply of teachings and practices um and uh, but they all support the idea of end, ending suffering so it kind of makes suffering paramount uh, in my mind all roads lead to suffering and, and the end of it
1: not quite finished thank you <laughs> sorry um, so not to I don't think it's... It's not worth arguing about whether suffering or the end of suffering is more important. (laughs) Yeah. Same point. Because they're both part of the teaching. Yeah. Um, But our understanding here, at least, is that the way to end suffering is through the Eightfold Noble Path. Um, The Noble Eightfold Path. You know...
0: I'm going to confess to being ha- having my own thoughts on this. First noble truth, there's suffering. It's normal, every day. Second noble truth is the cause of suffering is craving or attachment. Third noble truth, we can go beyond suffering. It's possible. Fourth noble truth is how to do it. Noble Eightfold Path. But then if the second noble truth is that the cause of suffering is is craving or attachment, maybe the fourth noble truth ought to be letting go. Just letting go, letting go, letting go. But of course it's not so simple. And so I'm guessing that's why the Buddha came up with the Noble Eightfold Path as a way of breaking down the means of letting go into understandable (laughs) bite-sized chunks. Uh, We need to do all those things in the Eightfold Path. Does that sound right to you?
1: Sounds fine. Thank you, Bill. Okay. Yes, Peter? Does anybody know where the other microphone is?
0: (laughs) Arthur.
2: You know, there's many, many layers to these teachings, and I'm not saying anything most people in this room will already know, don't know. Um, um, It's important with the Buddhist teachings to put them in the context of his time and um, what they meant at his time. As opposed to what some of the the translated words mean in english um, uh, i i've been reading some of us have we've been taking a class with uh, Gil. gill um, we've been ta- re- reading recently about the aggregates yes and um the teaching there goes something like, and I'm paraphrasing it, and someone here may know it better than I, that it's clinging to the aggregates um, that cause suffering. So the aggregates are actually a complicated um, bit of bit to understand that aren't apparent at, on, on the face of them. Say it, that last it, part again, Arthur. That it, clinging to the aggregates are the source of suffering. So in other words, desire in its, mm-hmm. of itself, wanting to have something, I, I'm not mm-hmm. sure if that's the source of suffering in and of itself but rather the the becoming, well, I, I, I'm getting into an area I I can't explain very well. Well, in and, a way, but, oh, go ahead, yes. Um, uh, when one follows um, all of the teachings, one finds, as you say, that they're all connected. To understand the aggregates, uh, one can't really understand that without the process of mindfulness. Yes. And and it's difficult to say that I do this or I do that. My understanding is that these things are happen to us when we create the causes for them to occur. Um, uh, anyway that's 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 the piece i i want i 'd like to add to this conversation
0: yeah. i i i'd agree with that um, of course when you say that when we cause these things to occur <clears throat> that gets into a question of to what degree do we Consciously or subconsciously cause them. Um, Sometimes it seems to me like we're all of our actions and thoughts are just the momentum from our earlier conditioning, the forces around us. Um, When I look back on my pre Buddhist days. Yes, there were things I did that caused my own suffering, and not the least of them were were my woe-is-me thoughts. But was it really me doing that? Looking back, I realized I had no free will (laughs) at all. And it seems like the whole practice is geared toward seeing more clearly and then gradually developing more something that seems like free will. I don't know if we ever really have free will, but it does seem like I have more now than I used to. Uh, before, it was all the result of my conditioning. Um, so to what extent I cause my suffering is, is kind of a matter of terminology. It's the whole world. Um, as far as the aggregates are concerned, uh, yeah. Um, attachment to the aggregates, attachment to anything is what causes our suffering. And in a way, it's simple. It's all aggregates. That's, that's all it is. Uh, the bits and pieces of our, of our life. But how does that connect with what you were thinking what I just said, Arthur? Does that sound right? I, I don't know. Okay.
2: Okay, Ar- you know, we're almost out of time. Trudy has a microphone. Maybe a last short question. There's a gentleman in front okay. with a question. I don't have a question. I have a comment, okay? okay? Sure. Um, what Arthur said, um, I don't know if he was talking about it, but it reminded me um, of... Um, I lost the word when no, we think, um... karma. Yeah. The word left me, but I don't know if if uh, that's connected for you, Arthur. But it is for me that um, I, you know I've lived long enough now to be able to see um, elements of karma in in my own life and and around me. And it can be very comforting or very disturbing. But it's good. Okay, one more question in the front. Okay, I'll try to make this quick. Uh, a question. <clears throat> so first of all, thank you so much for stepping in and giving in this uh, this talk, uh, which I found very satisfying, and uh, how real and humble and genuine you are. Thank you. Um, I had a comment, but I'll drop it since we're out of time and go straight to the question um, could you just talk a little bit about your experience teaching uh, meditation in prison uh, I'm especially curious about you know, how to overcome the amount of horrible conditioning that these people have been through before and even in prison, the conditions are so bad to mm-hmm. kind of settle in, concentrate, and get still. And so, mm-hmm. how do you?
0: Okay, yeah, sure. I would uh, any welcome. Um, several thousand people live in this prison uh, that some of us go to, and um, I remember clearly when I was walking up to it for the first time <laughs> I was getting a little bit of the heebie-jeebies like what am I getting myself into? Um, and then you go through the Sally Port you know, like four, four different gates to get through. Uh, and then you're walking down the hallway where there's dozens sometimes hundreds of inmates going back and forth during uh, t- to the Chow Hall because we arrived uh, at at dinner time. Um, So that's kind of exciting. Um, As soon as I was in that chapel, um, like maybe five minutes into it, I had the feeling, this is the safest place I could be. The guys were just great. Uh, For one thing, it's a medium security prison, and so uh, the guys there are in for very serious crimes so their sentences are long and the people that attended our Buddhist meditation group uh, had already been in prison for a long time 15, 20, even 30 years so they've had that long to reflect and to and, and they'd all made the decision uh, that they wanted to change themselves, uh, and so by the time they found our group, really they um, um, were really great guys. So in they were invariably polite and well spoken uh, to us, and. Um, at the end of the evening, they want, they want to shake us, shake our hands, and they say thank you, they express gratitude. They know that we drive a long way to get there, and they say, Drive safely going back. Uh, very heartwarming. Uh, so the key is, uh, for, and, and for one thing, <clears throat> this is only like 20, 25 people out of several thousand. So it's a self selected group. Uh, we don't offer food or anything else uh, not too many people want to come to uh, even in a prison not too many people want to come to a place where you're just going to sit in silence not very many people realize how wonderful silence can be in a noisy place but, but they do and so it's a self selected group um we had their full attention. I mean, it's a difficult place for them to be. Um, not all prisons are like this. We get reports from other volunteer groups. And, and some places, the, uh, uh, the whole setup is a lot more challenging. This is a pretty um, <laughs> uh, easy prison to go teach in. Compared to some others, I don't know if that answers your question. So maybe we can stop now, and there might be some other people who want to speak with you. If you're willing to
2: sit on the podium a little longer, that'd be great, Bill. And otherwise, we can go to the potluck and heartfelt thanks. So we had some
0: questions, and we had some comments. Yes, I was kind of hoping for some protests, but uh, Ah. (laughs) thank you all anyway. Thank you very much. Yes.